Good morning, church. I'm going to read from uh, the second letter of Peter, chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as, if, as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with the promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forwards to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard, so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Um, so Tanya and I got married in 2001 and we moved to Wellingarden City in Hertfordshire and uh, we joined a church there and um, in our enthusiasm, in our zeal, uh, we invited the pastor and his wife around for uh, dinner and it was a midweek evening and, um, but they got there a bit early and they rang the doorbell and as they rang the doorbell Tanya went, oh no they're here! <coughs> And the thing was, the kitchen was right by the front door, so they heard her, her say that. And uh, just a little bit awkward, but it was fine. But we weren't ready for their arrival. Um, now, 
we're talking here about the arrival of Jesus, the coming of the Lord. He came at Christmas time, he came 2,000 years ago, but the Bible says he, he'll come again. So what's our reaction going to be when he comes? Are we going to say, oh no, I'm not ready? Or are we going to welcome him? You can get a fridge magnet, I think, that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> the boss is going to turn up, look like you're doing something. How do we feel about this truth that Jesus will return, that he is coming? Do we feel prepared? Or do we think, I'm not in the right place for it yet, I need to get myself sorted. There's things I want to do first, perhaps. Now, this teaching about Jesus' return isn't weird and wacky and esoteric. It's mainstream uh, teaching of the church. And lots of churches say their creed every week. We don't so much, but lots of churches do it. In that creed, they say, he will come again in glory. To do what? To judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. It's part of mainstream Christianity to say that Jesus came and he will return. Now there are um, those who then take it a bit further and they try to work it all out and they get um, speculative about all the details and so on, but um, the essential truth that Jesus will return is mainstream Christianity. And what do we base it on? We base it on God's word. Yeah, if, uh, if I'm someone who is true to my word, you'll believe what I say. If I say, I'll be there, and if I prove that I will be there, and uh, you can trust what I'm saying, then you'll think, okay, you're as good as your word. But if I'm the sort of person who says one thing and then does another, um, then you think, well, you, you know, you speak stuff, but you don't really live it out. But God proves himself consistent with what he says. His words and his actions are kind of the same thing. When Jesus healed, he just spoke a word and it happened. When God spoke creation into being, yeah, he just said, let there be light, and there was light. God's word and action is completely married. And one leads to the other. And Peter here says, I want you to recall the words of God, the recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. He's referring there to the Old Testament the Holy Prophets, and to the New Testament, the words of Jesus. Recall these words. We live in a very wordy world. There's a lot of words, and a lot of frivolous words, a lot of hot air gets shared. But I want to say that when we read God's word, it will stimulate us, as Peter wants his readers uh, to do it will stimulate us to wholesome thinking. Do you know they say you are what you eat, and there's some truth in that. But you also we are what we think. We don't just do stuff; we think it first. And if we're thinking wholesome thoughts, we'll then do wholesome things. It's as simple as that. 
I want to stimulate you to wholesome thinking as you reflect on his word, on what he said. Now he says, there will be in the last days, there'll be scoffers. Now he's not talking about scoffers of mince pies, or scoffers of Christmas dinner. Uh, we may all fall into that trap. But when he says scoffers, he means people who mock. Um, I find often we mock things or we scoff things when we actually, the truth is, we don't understand. A lot of people mock or dismiss the Bible and when you, when you dig a bit deeper, you find they've never really read it. It's easy to dismiss stuff because it works for us. If I don't want to hear what you, you might be telling me the truth. Uh, but if it doesn't fit with what I want to hear, I will probably scoff at what you're saying. I'll dismiss what you're saying. He says there'll be scoffers in the last days, but actually there were scoffers, there have been scoffers all through history. He refers to the story of the flood. And there were people doing all kinds of violence and horrible things in those days, and God said, I'm going to bring a flood. And people scoffed, didn't want to believe it, because it didn't fit with their lifestyle. But Noah believed God's word and built the ark. And then God proved true to his word, didn't he? And the flood came, it's historically proven. There have been scoffers all the way out throughout history. There were scoffers when Jesus died on the cross. People mocked him. But God has proved true to his word. As Gail prayed um, just a moment ago, you know, hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah foretold what would come. The cross and the resurrection was foretold. Jesus fulfilled God's word. And so the second coming is based on God's word. It's the one promise of God that hasn't yet been fulfilled. But because God's been true to his word in the past, we believe God is going to be true to his word in the future. And it talks about a day. A day. Now, is that day going to be a 24-hour period? Well, not necessarily. We just don't know. It's a manner of speaking. Peter says, don't forget, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So on that basis, it was two days ago that Jesus came as a baby. <laughs> Time is different as God sees it. We have a very, very limited perspective on time. We're in it, but God is beyond it. He doesn't see things as we do. He sees the end from the beginning, and we don't. He sees beyond. He knows what is going to happen. And the reason God is holding back is because he's patient. And Gail prayed, well, I don't know how to pray for the, the troubles in the world. And we don't. As we were thinking last week, Jesus said there will be wars and rumours of wars. Don't be alarmed. These things happen. Obviously, we're to care and have compassion, but It's not the end of the story. 
I'm really glad God is patient. I get impatient with other people. But I'm grateful that God is patient with me. Are you glad that God is patient with you? Do you make the same old mistakes sometimes? Here I go again. Do you beat yourself up about that? (laughs) But God is more patient with you than you are with yourself. And it's God's patience that means he hasn't stepped in. Now, the big question people always ask, they look at the Middle East, they might look at Ukraine and say, why isn't God stepping in? But the thing is, if he does step in in his fullness and really sort everything out, he's then got to come and sort my life out as well. And the hope of our faith is that he will come and sort it all out, but he's relenting for the time being. He's holding back. And that is difficult and it's frustrating, perhaps at times, but you see, he's more patient than we are. There's a tradition in the movie industry of disaster films. And they kind of ring true with us because we have this impending sense of doom that it's all going to be, you know, a disaster. And going back several decades, there was this constant sort of cloud hanging over people that, well, they'd invented the atomic bomb and we're all going to get bombed. And now the threat is climate change. In preparation for this sermon, I... I listened to a couple of other sermons, or one and a half other sermons. Um, And the first one uh, was set in 1991. It was preaching in 1991. And he was saying, oh, as we look around at the world's events these days, you know, we might think this is the end times and Jesus is coming. I was thinking, what's he referring to? He was referring to the Gulf War that everyone was talking about at the time. There'd been some cataclysmic things happening just before that. The Berlin Wall had come down. uh, And it felt like there were some really amazing, positive things that had been answers to prayer happening. And then the world was at war in the Gulf. The other sermon I listened to was from 1959. And, And as I listened to it, I thought, well, it could have been preached these days because he was referring to scoffers who say, Oh, you know, the church, it's old hat and numbers are in decline. And, and you know, why bother? Why would you listen to, uh, to, to the Bible? And that was preached in 1959. <laughs> Helps us to get some perspective. God will come. And that impending sense of doom that many people have as they think nowadays about the disasters that are unfolding That doesn't need to be our story because we know that beyond that is hope. See, this passage does talk about the destruction of the heavens by fire, the elements melting in heat. It does talk about um, everything being laid bare. It talks about a finality. It talks about something bad in a sense, but with the same breath, Peter then talks about a new heaven and a new earth. And the thing is, we've got to not lose sight of that. If our daily diet is one of the news, the daily news, and that's what we feed ourselves on and only that, we will be filled with despair. 
And we think, oh my goodness, what's this world coming to? It seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. Well, they were saying that in 1991, and they were feeling that in 1959, and we're feeling it in 2023. But the thing is, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the destruction is actually a good thing because it's bringing to judgment that which needs to be brought to judgment. If there's no judgment, if there's no justice, well, that's really unfair. But all the awful things that are happening in our world that we see and that we don't see, the stuff that goes on behind closed doors that is so unjust, God doesn't miss a trick. He sees it all and there will be that day of judgment, a day of reckoning. And if we're living lives like scoffers, and if we're just saying, I can't be bothered with all that, it's a scary prospect. But if we're looking forward to that coming, it's a glorious prospect. We are people who look forward. We have hope. Now, I found sometimes as Christians, we look back. We look back to the good old days. Oh, the good old days. What were the good old They were rubbish. They weren't that good. I look back to my school days. No, it was rubbish. I hated it. <laughs> oh, the glory days of this church, you know. Oh, oh I remember when everyone came to church. Yeah, but they didn't. They just came out of tradition, you know. At least now people come to church because they want to be here. The glory days. Oh, it wasn't like that in my day. We're people who look forward. We have hope. We've got the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. And what's it like? It's a place where righteousness dwells. It's where righteousness is at home. It's where righteousness takes its slippers off and chills and says, yes, this is home. Now, sometimes righteousness doesn't feel at home when governments make unjust decisions, when things that are evil take place. Righteousness then feels like, ooh, I don't belong here. But righteousness in the new heaven and the new earth is completely at home. And as we were praying earlier, and it was on the money, Gail, be encouraged, please. And you're going to do it again. Um, do you know, it was, it's, uh, we pray that the new heavens and the new earth will fill this earth now. We're praying the future into today. We're praying the hope of heaven into Pembury right now. And we can say, Lord, your kingdom come. It will come in fullness. But we're seeing more and more of it now. So the story isn't all doom and gloom. There are great things happening. Now, one reaction to an impending sense of doom uh, judgment that may come, the feeling that the world's going down the pan and there's nothing we can do about it, is just despair. And if you're in a place of despair, you're going to think, well, it doesn't really matter what I do. I might as well just do whatever. It doesn't matter how I live my life. I might as well just carry on with endless distractions and, you know, please myself. But the thing is, all the good stuff won't be destroyed in that, that, in that sense. It will last forever. And God is wanting us to live lives that build towards this future new heaven and new earth. Like good stuff, like jazz, for example. <laughs> God is 
It's true. It's in here. It's in my Bible anyway. That is going to last for eternity. Country and Western? No. Oh, I'm joking. There is stuff that is going to last, and God is wanting us to invest, if you like, in the new heavens and the new earth now. And why do that, not by speculating, oh, what's it all going to look like and trying to work it all out for ourselves, but basically do what Peter encourages us to do here, which is to live a good life, to live spotless, blameless lives. Make every effort, Peter says, to do that. He says, live holy and godly lives as you look forward. Live the kind of life that won't be ashamed and embarrassed when Jesus comes. We don't know when it'll be. We can't work it all out. But what we can do is say, well, I'm going to live my life in the light of the new heavens and new earth, in the light of eternity. I'm going to live my life like that now. So with the way I interact with my friends, with the way I speak to my neighbour or my family, what I devote my attention to, the little choices I make, I make these in the light of the new heaven, the new earth, God's future plan. It's all part of a continuum, if you like. We have the hope that we will be reunited with the great cloud of witnesses in a new heaven and a new earth, with our loved ones who've gone before us. And Peter does say, make every effort to do that, but we make every effort to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that by ourselves. And so he says at the end of this passage, he says, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. We don't look to heaven by just focusing on our efforts in earth. We look to heaven by looking to Jesus. And we can grow in grace through relationship with him. We grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour. It's not a knowledge about him, it's just knowing him. So we have a story of hope. It isn't all over. It isn't all lost. I would encourage us to spend as much or if not more time reading this report than the news reports. If you spend all your time reading news reports and you're really depressed, I can't help you. (laughs) But read this. And it gives us a different account of the story, of reality. And there is hope. There is a future. There is glory. So I bless you, Lord. That this world is not spiraling out of control, but that although you are relenting, Although you are holding back, Lord, you're still on the throne. I think there's a song that says, All hail King Jesus. And he's the king who came 
as a baby, but the king who will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. You're our king, Jesus. You're on the throne. So we look to the day of your coming, Lord. We trust in you. Let's invite the band to come back. And Kemmerich's chosen a song which says, God is calling us to live holy and blameless lives, holy and godless lives before him as we look to the day of God and the speed that's coming. And if you're able to, let's, let's worship God.